I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. Chapter 1. Is there by chance a Kleenex in the house? Sorry. Perfect. Ah, perfect. Oh, must be the dust or allergies or something. I don't know. Thank you. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read a, a good portion here, beginning in verse 12, down through, down through 26. Um, if you're able to, would you mind standing as we read from God's Word? This is the word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on this word this morning. Again, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would work in our hearts, would open our eyes, would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. Um, Prepare us, Lord, uh, for the work of the week ahead as we go out into the world as your people that what we hear here from you doesn't just encourage us in the moment, but equips us for what you have for us out there. I ask for your help, Lord, as I preach your word to do so with clarity. And again, through me and through your word, I pray that your people would be built up and equipped. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is a familiar passage. Probably one of the, the great passages of Scripture, especially the, the second half that we read. Um, there's, a, there's a part in here that's, that's really captured my attention. I'll, I'll flag it when we get to that. But, but bigger than that, there's, a, there's an overall theme here that I want to just highlight for a moment. It's a theme of perspective. Um, Paul's in prison. He's writing from prison to a people that are obviously unsettled by the circumstances of the moment. I think Paul's imprisonment has a lot to do with that. Um, here's, the, here's the man who founded this church, most likely. Here's someone that, has, that they know, that they've interacted with, has maybe been in their homes, now in prison, 
Now, with facing the, the very real prospect that this might be the end of Paul. He might not survive this. And even Paul acknowledges that himself. So you can imagine for, for a church with this kind of tie, this would be discouraging. This would be tough. This would be fearful times. What will happen to Paul? If they were at all dependent on Paul, how do you replace an apostle? What comes next? But moreover, if they are willing to do this to Paul, what will they do to us when he's out of the way? There's a sense here in which they're, they're thinking these thoughts and that Paul, although in prison, he's the one in prison, they're free. He's the one doing the encouraging, not the other way around. Um, and as he encourages them, he's showing them a different perspective than what they see. They see something that's ominous, that's dangerous, that's final, that doesn't look good, but the way that Paul responds is very different from that. Uh, one, of my, one of the favorite uh, psalms that I have is uh, Psalm 78. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the beginning of this, the first half of the, of the psalm, the psalmist is complaining to God. He's looking around him and he's seeing all the faithful people who have tried to live faithfully before the Lord, to do the right things, to obey the commandments, to not live like the world, all that stuff. As he looks around, he sees them suffering and the ones who don't know God doing well. Can you relate? <laughs> and you see at a certain point, he's saying, the faithful are starting to melt away. They're seeing what's happening, and they're starting to ask the same question I'm asking. What's the good in this? What's the point of this? Why be faithful when it's the wicked who are thriving? The wicked who live without fear, have nothing to be concerned about. The equation's not working out for us until he went to the temple of the Lord. And there was reminded of who God is, and was reminded of the certain judgment of God against the wicked, even though now they thrive. And that perspective enabled the psalmist to get his feet under him again and rejoice, hold firm, be assured that he is in the right place. We, we need perspective all the time, don't we? Well, we're seeing that during the season of conflict in, in Europe. I don't know if you've tried to keep up with the flood of dispatches and photos that are coming from the, the, the front of the war, and it's really honestly hard after a while to know what's what, because we're learning how well images and statements and testimonies and reports can be skewed according to whose perspective. We lack perspective. We're looking for perspective. We're trying to see what's real, what's true, what's the right way to think about this. And I, I think that same thing is the question that we should approach this passage with. We are, the, the Philippians are approaching Paul's imprisonment from one perspective, but Paul sees it another, and not just to provide a counterpoint, but I think, as he says later on in Philippians, he is trying to model for them a way to imitate. This is how you should look at what I'm going through. I'm not just giving you my encouragement, I'm giving you my vision of things. And I think that, that vision is, is so valuable for us even today. So as I said, Paul's writing from prison, most likely in Rome. We see in verse 13 that he makes a reference to the imperial guard or praetorium, which is an elite group of Roman soldiers. Uh, they often serve as the emperor's personal guard, which not only gives us a clue as to or affirms that Paul is probably in Rome, but also tells us something about the importance of Paul. 
to the Roman Empire. He was no small occupant of their prison. He was a high-value 